You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. She's a mystery. She's a legend. She's been the subject of many movies, and her face has been used on packaging of makeup across the world. It's none other than Cleopatra. Well, hi, friend, and welcome back to For the Love of History. As always, I'm TK. So last week, we took a look at Cleopatra as her own person in The True Story of Cleopatra, Part 1. We looked at her not connected with any other person. We didn't discuss her in the context of Caesar or Mark Anthony. She was just simply Cleo, which would be a great name for like some sort of cosmetics, simply Cleo. (laughs) But anyways, so we just looked at her by herself, but history doesn't operate in a vacuum. We can't get the true story of a historical figure, let alone anyone, by not knowing how they interacted with the world around them and also how the world saw them, because honestly, that's kind of like the most important part. So we're going to look at three and a half-ish different ways that people in different periods of time saw her. So we're going to look at Cleo, the sexual predator slash star-crossed lover, Cleo, the murderer, and the Cleopatra that we will never know. So without further ado, grab a snack, get comfy, Do whatever you gotta do. Let's settle in and get started with part two of the true story of Cleopatra. So first we're taking a look at Cleo, the sexual predator and star-crossed lover. So before we get started with all of that, I wanna tell you a little bit about why Cleopatra had relationships with Caesar and Mark Antony. So first of all, when she had a relationship with Caesar, she was 22 years old, he was 52 years old, and she needed his help. There was a war going on between her and her brother, and then later on her sister. It was a big mess. And she had been banished. She'd been sent away from her kingdom. So she needed Caesar's help to get her kingdom back. So she did what she had to do, and eventually Caesar did help her get her kingdom back. And a super interesting historical side note is that in Cleopatra's father's will, He wrote in there that if there should be any disputes on who should rule, Rome would make the decision on who would rule and who wouldn't. Because Rome was like the big dog. You did what Rome said because Rome had a super huge army. And if you didn't, they would come in and they would kind of like mess your... Mess your stuff up. You don't wanna you don't wanna mess with Rome. So what happened with Mark Antony? Cleopatra wanted to restore Egypt to its former glory and size. So in the past 300 years of the Ptolemaic Empire, the Egyptian territory had shrunk and they didn't own parts of Egypt that they formerly had. So Cleopatra wanted to take back those lands to make Egypt a huge empire once again. And how could she do that? 
Well, with the help of a real big army and a lot of money, and Mark Antony had those things. So what did she do? She buddied up to Mark Antony, and she got pretty much all of her former kingdom back. So that is her connection with Caesar and Mark Antony. They did go on to have relationships and children together. With Caesar, she had one child, and with Mark Antony, she had three. But here's where we come to the uh, not-so-great part. The Romans did not like her, and they ran so much propaganda against her. Like, the propaganda train was going off the tracks. And there was a couple reasons for this. Women in Rome really didn't have a role in society, and they were almost always under the rule of men, whether it be their brother, their father, their husband, whatever. And they couldn't vote. They were basically considered to be property. There were hardly any Roman women in positions of power. And Cleopatra really did not fit that at all. They were uncomfortable with the notion of a powerful woman that was unconstrained by Roman social morals and etiquette. And boy... Did they write some spicy stuff about her? A Roman politician, Cesario, who met with her on more than one occasion, called her a harlot and commented on her unfathomable impertinence, meaning he thought girl was rude as hell. The poet Lucian called her the shame of Egypt, the lascivious fury who was to become the bane of Rome. The Roman poet Horace described her as a crazy queen plotting to demolish the capital and topple the Roman Empire. As you can see, they did not like her. Those are not compliments. They were just impossibly upset that two of their most powerful leaders aligned themselves politically and emotionally, romantically, whatever you want to call it, and had relationships with her. And she was pretty much their equal. In fact, Mark Antony held her in such high regard that he had a golden statue of her built in Rome inside a temple for Aphrodite. It stayed there for like 300 years. And Aphrodite is the goddess of love and a really important goddess for the Romans. So this clearly shows that he had a lot of respect for her and loved her. Side note, to anybody out there who really wants to impress their partner, get them a golden statue of themselves. Trust me, it'll work. It would work on me. Who doesn't want a golden statue of themselves? Nobody. Not a single person. But I digress. Basically, the Romans could not deal with this level of love that Mark Antony especially had for Cleopatra. To them, this meant that their great leaders were weak, and they simply could not have this. So what was the only logical explanation? Duh! Supernatural sexy seduction powers for Caesar? He was an innocent man, and Cleo was a sexual eastern temptress who put a spell over him. And when it came to Mark, Mark Antony was simply too good, and he couldn't handle her beauty, and thus he went mad and abandoned his his wife. He was married when he met Cleo. 
I'm not going to lie to you. There may be a little bit of truth in the Roman's depiction of her. On the list of uncool things to do in the world, getting with someone's husband and also leaving your wife is really high up there. But I am not here to judge. I'm here to tell you a story, friend. But besides all that craziness, both of these men had relationships with her, both politically and romantically. And the Romans were not having it and created this whole image of Cleopatra as a sexual temptress homewrecker. And this carried on into the Renaissance, into the Victorian era, and into Shakespeare's writing. And Shakespeare kind of spun Cleopatra in a different way. Yes, she was a temptress. Yes, she used her body to get what she wanted. But she also was a star-crossed lover. Shakespeare turned her into a tragic, romantic heroine. Shakespeare portrayed her as a hysterical woman who wasn't in control of her emotions. She couldn't help falling in love because she lacked logical thinking. She was just overcome by her emotions, and she couldn't handle it. And this very one-dimensional character has carried over into several movies, and she's portrayed in the same way. She's drop-dead gorgeous, sexual. She seduces men, and she's just simply overcome by her womanly desires and can't think logically and so she says country be damned I'm in love and to be honest this story is way easier to sell to people everybody loves a love story and I get it Shakespeare you're trying to sell tickets to your plays and if I'm being honest I would totally go see that play because TK loves love but not all portrayals of her have been on the sexy seductress lovey-dovey side. Some people saw her in the complete opposite way, as Cleopatra the murderer. If we look back at the Ptolemy dynasty, we can see one common thing, murder. Lots and lots of murder. We got fathers killing sons, sisters killing brothers, mothers killing daughters, just killing all over the place for political security and just to protect their own life. Murder was like the family business for the Ptolemies. And unfortunately, Cleopatra was no different. She has done her fair share of murdering. She had a great example when her father killed his oldest daughter, Cleopatra's older sister, Bernice IV, because the Egyptian people kicked him out of his own country and Bernice, being the next in line, took the throne. And when he came back, he killed his own daughter. Gracious. And I'm sure you thought your family Thanksgivings were bad. If you celebrate Thanksgiving in the country that you're listening to, if not, I'm sorry. I'm sure there's another family event that you dread going to every year. But anyways... Cleopatra learned from the best, and she had all of her siblings killed, either directly or indirectly. One of her younger brothers that she was married to was killed 
because he wanted to take the throne. And Cleo was like, "Uh uh-uh, no thank you. Then when she was restored back to the Egyptian throne, she was supposed to marry her other younger brother. She did, and then she murdered him so that she didn't have to compete. And the Romans and even some modern historians held on to that and portrayed her as a power-hungry murderer and made no mention of her other political or personal safety things that she had to secure because it was either kill or be killed. But there is one murder that Cleopatra had done that doesn't really sit well with me. Like, I understand that she had to do it to secure her throne, but the way she did it was so not cool. So she had a younger sister named Arsinoe, who was only a year or two, possibly three years, younger than her. And I'm going to try to explain this little bit complicated situation. Cleopatra wanted to side with Rome right after her father died. And her younger brother, Ptolemy, and her younger sister, Arsinoe, didn't want to. So that's where the split happened between the three of them. So after Cleopatra's younger brother, Ptolemy, was killed, Arsinoe decided to become the queen of Egypt. And remember, Cleopatra was banished from Egypt at this time, and that's why she had gone to Caesar. So at this point, Cleopatra and Caesar had formed an alliance, and Cleopatra asked Caesar to go remove Arsinoe from the Egyptian throne and basically kill her. So Caesar marched his happy little butt over to Egypt, captured Arsinoe, brought her back to Rome, and was going to kill her in the middle of the Colosseum. But the people were really upset because all they saw was this little girl. Like, she was 19, 20 at the oldest during this time because she was just a little bit younger than Cleopatra. So the Roman people were not happy about this at all. So Caesar didn't kill her. And instead, he sent her to a kind of safe temple place called the Temple of Artemis. And this is where a lot of people who were seeking political asylum stayed for years and years. And this was a place where they could not be killed. So once Cleopatra had her throne back and she was established again as the Queen of Egypt, Caesar died. Then she started the relationship with Mark Antony and she asked Mark Antony to have Arsinoe murdered. So what happened was Mark Anthony had her dragged out of the sanctuary temple and murdered her in the street. Man, oh man, that is tough. And once again, not here to judge, simply telling a story. But damn, Cleopatra, that was cold-blooded. But I really want to know what you guys think. Was she justified in protecting her throne from a potential threat or was this just totally wrong no matter what time period you're in so i'm going to post a little conversation box in the story of the for the love of history's instagram and i really want to know your guys's opinion if you have time drop on over there and let me know what you think and the time has come for our final part the cleopatra we will never know 
The biggest part of Cleopatra's life that is debated is how she died. The most commonly accepted way is that an asp, a kind of cobra snake, bit her and that's how she committed suicide. But we really don't know. No written record of what really happened, just things written after the fact. Some Romans wrote that she was a coward when she killed herself. Some movies portray her as a kind of Romeo and Juliet figure where she's just too emotionally distraught and she can't go on without her lover, Mark Antony, so she kills herself. Some people say she did it with a knife. Some people say that she drank poison. There are many many different ideas as to how she died and why she killed herself in the first place. What we do know is that she is for show dead because it's been 2,000 years. And her memory and personality and life live on in hundreds of different mediums. Movies, plays, books, TV series, makeup, skincare, podcasts. Wink, wink, the one that you're listening to right now. Fortunately or unfortunately, there's just enough mystery surrounding Cleopatra that we can manipulate her to fit whatever the time or medium calls for. She can be a genius if you want. She can be a mother, a murderer, an amazing politician, a lover, a super sexy badass lady whatever you want. And in a way, she is all of these things because she was a real human being. And as we know, human beings do not operate in black and white. Nobody is just a Hufflepuff or just a Gryffindor. Excuse the Harry Potter reference. Nobody is just mean or just kind or just one of anything for that matter for all you people that uh, did not read or watch the Harry Potter series. People are people, and there's so many different sides to them. And as I always do, I want to leave you with something on the interesting slash positive side. I'm actually not sure if this really counts as positive, but I think it's positive because it's kind of cool. And it's about my birthday month. The Egyptians were one of the first group of people to operate on the 365-day solar calendar, the one that we know today. But the months that we know now were named by the Romans. And if you did something awesome, you got a month named after you. And this guy, Octavian, was the next leader of Rome who defeated Mark Antony and Cleopatra at the Battle of Actium. So this was deemed to be super great by the Romans, and they were like, oh my gosh, Octavian, not only are we going to give you a month, but we're going to rename you. Your name is going to be Augustus. So which month do you want, homie? And he was like, I want the eighth month because that is the month that Cleopatra killed herself in. I mean, weird flex, but all right. I mean, he did also choose it for some other reasons that were not about Cleopatra. Like, it was also the month that he became a part of the Roman council. So what I'm saying is the eighth month was the perfect month for him. And I know what you're thinking. TK, this is not particularly uplifting or positive. But hear me out. Just for a second, you know, now that you know this, every year when August rolls around, you'll not only think, hey, 
it's that podcaster that I really like, TK. It's her birthday this month. And also, you'll remember, oh, hey, Cleopatra died in this month. So it's kind of like a nice little way to remember her, I think. You got to think of the silver lining, friend. Flip it around. And with that, you have come to the end of my story about Cleopatra the Seventh. I hope you know a little bit more about Cleopatra. And finally, I just want to thank you guys again for joining me in these last two episodes. I really appreciate it. As a new podcaster, every download is like a little bit of an encouragement for me. It's nice to know that you guys are out there and you're listening. And I'd like to create a little bit more of a community for discussion here. So if you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to and head on over to the For the Love of History Instagram. I'm going to have a little what did you think comment box up on my Instagram stories. So go ahead and check that out. There's always some fun stuff on there. And if you have time, leave a review on iTunes. That's all I got for you, friend. I hope you enjoyed this episode of For the Love of History. And next week, we're going to be talking about circus performers and the history of the circus and sideshows. So until then, I'll see you later. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs>